0: I remember when Jay shared with us and then got in touch with, uh, with Mike Haas and myself you know, this strategy that he had come up with of going over the five-fold ministries in Ephesians in triplicate. <laughs> Jay would be leading off. Mike Haas would follow. And then I would come along. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh boy, will there be anything left to cover? And of course, Jay knows, Mike knows, that in God's Word there is such unfathomable depth that we could do this thing for the next five years and not exhaust it. And so, when I listened to Jay, I was learning at the time, here is the purpose of the apostolic ministry. That's what came across to me and much of what Jay had to share. Then I listened to Mike and I, I felt like Mike was helping me to understand here's the practice of that apostolic ministry. And now I have an opportunity to bring some information about the person of the very first apostle, Jesus and so let me start out with a little little prayer. Father, I thank you for this fellowship. I thank you for the people here. Your church assembled in this building. And I pray for good food to share. I pray that you would bring to my mind every word of the conversation your spirit spoke to my heart. And I thank you for every truth that you bring and give to us. I thank you for Jesus, the very first apostle. Amen. In the beginning, I love that phrase, and that phrase is found in two places in the Bible. And oftentimes when we think about going back to the earliest time in the Bible we think about going back to Genesis Genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning God but I think I have a personal opinion that there is another place in scripture where I can go to go back even farther and that might be found in the book of John so I'm going to read a little bit out of the J.B. Phillips translation. At the beginning, God expressed Himself. That personal expression, that Word was with God and was God. And He existed with God from the beginning. We go down a little bit farther. If I were to continue reading, it would say that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we would quickly find out that that Word made flesh is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was there from the very beginning. And I remember early on before I really was a Christian at a time when I called myself a Christian, And I called my younger brother a hand-waving Jesus freak who was overboard. I had heard about Jesus being the Son of God, but it never really entered my mind or connected that this Jesus existed before He came in human flesh. I never really understood that. Never made that connection. So He is there in the very beginning. And I think about what might it have been like in the beginning before there is any part of creation and as i was walking i had this place near our home where sheila and i live that i love to walk it's a it's a couple couple miles up a hill there's a tremendous view and i um, i like to do a lot of different preparation by going on that walk and i was imagining what it was like in the beginning before there was anything created and an image came to me from Mike's message where he talked about the time at Trace Diaz where there was a father praying for his son in this very heartfelt, warm embrace. And that image came to my mind. Just these, the father and the son. And as I picture that image in my mind, there is between them the Spirit of this Father and Son. And so in the mystery of the Godhead, the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I just imagined that this was a little slice of look at what may have been. You have the Father and the Son. Tremendous love flowing between them and the Holy Spirit embracing them, the three of them. So we have that image in the beginning. So we have this perfect love environment. And I began to think about the fact that this love has with it certain attributes. It has joy and it has creative expression. If we go back to Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You have this creative expression that's happening. And I thought about God again in Genesis saying, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. God has got this plan, and it involves creative expression. Great expression of all that is seen, all that is unseen, including you and I. And we read in Colossians, Now Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began, for it was through Him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. And I began to understand that this is falling off, but that's all right. We'll catch this. We'll put it in a the pocket. I began to understand how important it is to joy and how important it is to creative expression to be able to share things in relationship. Sheila and I went for a nice walk yesterday at Timor Park, and we had a beautiful walk over a couple miles around this pond and through the Timor forest, and it was beautiful. And if we had walked just separately, if it was just me walking or just Sheila walking, I think we would have enjoyed and appreciated the beauty that we saw. But it means so much more when you have someone to share it with. And I think about marriage, and we've got some newlyweds and some recentlyweds and some not-too-long-ago-weds. Part of marriage, I think, is an opportunity to share your fullness. You need somebody to share your fullness with. And so we find in the creative expression of God's plan, making men and women in His image, And I was thinking about what John said in 1 John. Let me read it to you. We are writing to you about something which has always existed, yet which we ourselves actually saw and heard. Something which we had an opportunity to observe closely and even to hold in our hands. And yet, as we know now, was something of the very word of life and self. For it was life which appeared before us. We saw it. We are eyewitnesses of it and are now writing to you about it. It was the very life of all ages, the life that has always existed with the Father, which actually became visible in person to us mortal men. We repeat, we really saw and heard what we are now writing to you about. We want you to be with us in this in this fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ His Son, we must write and tell you about it because the more that fellowship extends, the greater the joy it brings to us who are already in it. So there is this need for sharing the truth, sharing life to expand the joy. And as I was thinking... On my walk, I thought, what would it be like if I was the only person on the face of the planet? Nobody else exists. No other human beings, no animal life. I've still got the trees, and even the electricity is on. So I can go to any car dealership I want, pick out the car I want, drive it wherever I want. Gas pumps still work, the infrastructure's still there. I have a blast with all the toys, but there's no one to share it with. I could sense, as I closed my eyes and imagined, I could sense the loneliness of that. But I knew I could still exist. Lonely, but I could still exist. And then think a little bit harder and imagine not even God exists. An impossibility. But as I strove to imagine that, I knew that if that were to be true... I draw my last breath. Outside of relationship, there is no existence. And so we see even in the three persons of the Godhead, that important element of relationship. I say all this to set the stage a little bit for looking at Jesus as the first apostle. Because I'm going to touch on three things, the message, the motive, and the means of this first apostle. So I have one more background event to talk about. Something that I refer to as the choosing. And again, we go back to Genesis, and and I remember hearing this story in 1984 again for what seemed to me like the first time that all of a sudden we have in God's creation our, our first human beings, Adam and Eve. And they are in this garden, and God gives them a directive. You can eat from any tree in the garden, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, because on the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Now I'm thinking to myself, How do they even know what death is. A whole lot of, whole lot of things. We, someday we'll, we'll do some messages on that because it's fascinating, those, those early moments. But I think about the fact that through deception, there became a terrible fall of mankind. And I remember Mike saying when he was giving his message, he was talking about false apostles. And we have on the scene in the garden the very first false apostle. We've got Satan bringing a message. And his message is God really can't be trusted. His love can't be trusted. He's leaving something out. You can be like God yourself. But you've got to take some things into your own hands. He's not sufficient. You need to take action. Because His love is imperfect. So that's the message of this first false apostle. You can't trust God. His love is imperfect. And you better take some matters into your own hands. And Eve is deceived and takes of the fruit, gives some to Adam who was with her. And there's bunches we could talk about that whole thing. A lot of different opinion about that. But the end result is that death immediately takes place. Now, I don't see Adam or Eve dropping over physically dead So if we examine the kind of life they have, in brief, I think it can be said that they have some mental life, some physical life, and some spiritual life. And mentally, they still got their mind, although they're not real happy. Shame and fear and all these different things they're struggling with for the first time. Physically, they don't fall over. But spiritually, they've got a disconnection from God. And because there are great, 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 greats, way down the line there somewhere, when you and I are born, we inherit this thing. Now, it's pretty strange because if I had, with my own children or friends, and I had this bowl of fruit on the table, and in the fruit, in this bowl of fruit, I got some bananas, I got some oranges, I got some grapes, I got some apples, got some cherries, and I say, hey, have anything you want, but don't eat the cherries, we're going to make a pie out of that. Hands off the cherries. And you dig in, and you can't resist cherries, and you grab some and you eat them. I may do some reprimanding but I'm not going to do any real severe punishing, man, this eating of that tree, that resulted in the corruption of the whole universe. So all I can conclude is I don't have as good a handle on the impact of sin as I wish I did. Because it had a very, very big deal. So there was a choice made that separated Mankind from the relationship we had originally with God. And so now we need a true messenger, Jesus Christ. So that's to the point where we are now. So there was a choosing that took place, and the fact that it was a choosing is very important. So what is the message that Jesus brings as the first apostle. And let me paraphrase, because for me the gospel consists of all the words and the life of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can ask another Christian, what's the gospel? And oftentimes the answer is, Jesus came to save sinners. And certainly that's true. But there is so much more to the Gospel. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have all the words and the life of Jesus Christ. The Gospel. And if I were to paraphrase or to take an attempt to paraphrase what is Jesus' message as the first apostle, I might say something like this. You are a living thought of the eternal God his son, his daughter, his child, his beloved. You are not alone. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he sent his son to bring you to his bosom, where you will be forevermore. God loves you. You are not alone. It is the truth against the lie of Satan. Jesus comes with that message of God's deep love. So what is his motive? To be sure, his motive is love. And as I pondered... And I thought it was kind of interesting as I was pondering, Father, what is the nature, God, what is the nature of love? Now I've been a Christian 20-some years, and now I'm pondering this again. What is the nature of love? And I understood perhaps better than I have in the past that it is a giving. It is a giving of oneself to another for their good it was both a blessed revelation and a painful revelation because I do not love well. I don't love well. I need to love better. I want to love better. And as I've shared with Sheila over the recent month or two, I've said, you know, Sheila, I feel like the Holy Spirit has done a tremendously good job of showing me with great High definition, the bars of my loveless jail. I see my lovelessness better than I ever have before. What I need, Lord, is love. Help me with that. And I find so much of our relationship with God to be a a blessed partnership. Our will... The one thing that he gave us is a huge, tremendous gift, aligning in step and in keep with his, to which he adds his power to do what we can't do. So the motive is love, the giving of oneself to another. And love gives a tremendous gift, a gift of freedom. As we give, is love looking for a response? Yes. Yeah. Love wants a response, but it doesn't demand one. Love loves to see an echoing love in the response, but it does not demand it, does not require it. And that's where I slip up personally a great deal. I am such a conditional lover at times. So love gives a gift of freedom. And freedom is not, I remember being a school bus driver at one point in time. And I would say to the kids early in the year, kids of all ages, but I love the love the high school kids, can anybody give me a definition of freedom? And they would jump on that one. Oh yeah, freedom's the ability to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And I'd say, Good. Man, you gave me the perfect definition of slavery. <laughs> They go, what? And I said, perfect definition of slavery. What do you mean? Freedom is the ability to do what is right, what is good. And I knew what the next question would be because I and I set it up just for that. How do you know what's good and what's right? Glad well, you asked. Going to be the rest of the school year. We're going to talk about that one. So we would have an opportunity to talk about what is good and true and right. God gives us a choice. He gives that tremendous gift, love's gift of choice. The primary reason that Jesus came, the primary reason that Jesus came, touched on one potential reason a little bit earlier. God came, or Jesus came to save sinners. But if we go deeper and look for a more primary reason, I think there may be one. The Father sent him. The Father sent him. Again from John, I have brought you honor upon earth, Jesus prays in the 17th chapter of John. Praying to his Father, I have brought you honor upon earth. I have completed the task which you gave me to do. Now, Father, honor me in your own presence with the glory that I knew with you before the world was made And then a verse that we know so many of us know so well For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him shall not be lost but should have eternal life Jesus came because the father sent him and he came to he sent him that we might be reconciled to the Father. And we have that free choice. A question to ponder, which I'm not even going to give an answer to, but a question that I think is of very high importance to understanding God. Are the things that God does good simply because it's He who does them? Are the things that God does good simply because it's He who does them, or does He do them because they are good? And there is a world of difference in my thinking between the two. Are the things that God does good simply because it's He that does them, or does He do them because they are good? So the message, you're not alone. You have a heavenly Father. He loves you. The motive, love. The means. Touch on three things. The coming, the living, the dying. In Jesus' coming, we find here is God. In Colossians, we see that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And yet, in huge, tremendous humility, the Bible shares with us that He lets Himself be born in the form of a slave in sinful human nature. Born like a man, but without any sin. But He takes our nature. So, tremendous Humility. And I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, it's almost as if when you look at God's plan over the ages, God is writing this tremendous story. And in this story, the characters that he loves get into such a tremendous pickle. And he has such great compassion for them that he writes himself into the story to rescue them. And so in Jesus, God writes himself into the story. And he comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he lives. And if we look at his life in the Gospels, we see a life where he is constantly giving, always giving. He's healing. He's teaching. He's feeding. He's caring. He's touching. Every single thing that he does, there is this aspect of service in it. He is a servant. And then the dying. The shedding of his blood. It says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And in the Old Testament, we've got a bloodbath. We have got animals, hopefully sheep without a blemish, or different kinds of animals, and they're... Blood is being poured out as a symbol of what, what is to come. There's a lot of blood flowing in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it tells us that the life is in the blood. And I'm thinking, okay, if we got to have some blood from Jesus in order to cleanse us from our sins and get into that blessed place that, that Jay was talking about where, where the list of recorded sins against us gets wiped perfectly clean by the power of his blood. I've had my blood drawn before. Why don't we just prick Jesus' finger? We'll get some blood there or take some out of the vein out of his out of his arm. Why this tremendous scourging? Why this crucifixion? And even crucifixion. I remember watching Apollo 13 and as they're talking about the potential landing bringing the craft this crippled spacecraft back to earth. The newsman holds up a basketball and a piece of paper and says, you know, they've got to come in at a certain angle no bigger than the width of this paper compared to this basketball. The precision is amazing. God's precision was amazing, too, because crucifixion in the whole history of man exists for a pretty short period of time. So if you're going to fulfill prophecy, man, you're going to have to hit that right on the button. So why more than a prick of blood. And I began to think about this aspect of love giving itself. And what you see in Jesus as the first apostle is this constant giving, giving, giving everything he had. Every ounce even of blood. And when I cannot understand something that God does in my life or allows to happen, the answer he gives me is the person of his son. When I when when words fail me, when understanding fails me, then the person of Jesus makes a difference. And it makes a difference that he suffered. It makes a difference that it wasn't the pinprick on his thumb. I am amazed that at any point in time Jesus could have said, Stop. I'm not doing this. He had legions of angels that he could bring to bear. He could not only stop it, he could execute immediate retribution. He did not. He didn't. And that measure of love can be our undoing of the hardness of our hearts. It is an extraordinary thing. The message... Father loves you. I love you. I am giving everything to bring you back to Him, to bring you home. The motive of love, the means, He came, He lived, He died. To conclude, I want to I read just a little bit more out of the J.B. Phillips of chapter 1 then end with a final thought. So I'll start at the beginning again. Chapter 1. At the beginning, God expressed Himself. That personal expression, that Word was with God and was God. And He existed with God from the beginning. All creation took place through Him, and none took place without Him. In Him appeared life, and this life was the light of mankind, The light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. A man called John was sent by God as a witness to the light, so that all who heard his testimony might believe in the light. This man was not himself the light. He was sent simply as a witness to that light. That was the true light which shines upon every man which was now coming into the world. He came into the world, the world he had created, and the world failed to recognize him. He came into his own world, and his own people would not accept him. Yet wherever men did accept him, he gave them the power to become sons of God. These were the men who truly believed in him, and their birth depended not on natural descent, not on any physical impulse or plan of man, but on God. So the word of God became a human being and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And it was about him that John stood up and testified, exclaiming, Here is the one I was speaking about when I said that although he would come after me, he would always be in front of me, for he existed before I was born. Indeed, every one of us has shared in his riches. There is a grace in our lives because of his grace. For while the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is true that no one has ever seen God at any time, yet the divine and only Son who lives in the closest intimacy with the Father has made him known. there is a cry that comes out of every individual whom the Spirit has been pleased to give the gift of this ministry of an apostle. Their motivation is always going to be love. Their message is going to be consistent with Jesus because every one of the fivefold ministries finds their completion in Him. He is the source of them all. So from 2 Corinthians 5.20, we find Paul echoing the heart of this apostolic ministry. And it again comes back to a choosing. We all get back into the garden faced with that same choice. Therefore, Paul wrote, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this lovely opportunity to be together. To be able to hear from different individuals. I wish, Lord, I long and look forward to the time we hear in whatever setting you want to provide, on a Sunday morning or any other time, maybe where a couple of us are gathered for coffee, you use all of your people to bring these ministries into our lives. If there is anyone here, Father, who has heard this message and it's connected by the power of your Spirit for the first time, and they find themselves believing You are all You say that You are, then may they find a welcome joy in becoming a part of Your family and share that joy with others. We live and breathe by Your grace, by Your Spirit. We love you. Teach us how to love. To the absolute glory of your name until we all come safely home. In Jesus' name, amen.